0: Welcome to This Week in Local, a Locology podcast featuring lively conversations about the local digital ecosystem, hosted by Locology analysts, Mike Bolin and Charles Laughlin. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Local. I'm Charles Laughlin, senior analyst at Locology. I'm joined by my colleague, Mike Boland. Mike, how's it going? Hi, Charlie. Going well. Great, great. So, Mike, what do you want to talk about?
1: Yeah. So um, one thing I've been looking at over the last week is some rumors that are swirling around Apple's sort of toying around with um, AI. Um, so this this sort of stems from uh, some reporting done by Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, who is, a, of course, a well-known sort of Apple rumor hound. Um, and he's uncovered uh, that Apple is developing a sort of conversational AI a uh, tool called Apple GPT, or that's, I guess, the working title for now, um, allegedly being tested now internally among employees, uh, with a sort of wider rollout and you know splashy Apple Apple-like announcement to come to come next year. And what this thing is is essentially a you know a sort of Chat GPT-like tool um, that lets you do a range of things things across Apple products. So that's everything from you know find the closest korean barbecue to you know finding something to watch on your apple tv um, to you know setting an alarm clock and finding out about weather and essentially all of, when you look at that list that's siri's job so the question this all leads to is that like what is the fate of of siri if apple is indeed looking at this sort of you know chat gpt like native Uh, product. And and the sort of TLDR version that that we've been talking about is that um, Siri will likely be finally um, and eventually uh, taken out to the woodshed. Um, We don't really see a world in which Siri survives any sort of chat GPT based sort of internal uh, competitor. Um, and one of the reasons there, um, to just to put it bluntly, is that just Siri's terrible. It's it's like comically <laughs> dysfunctional. You know, it, it sort of works for like predictable, what I call system functions. And these are the things that like my in-laws love and they use it for. And they think Siri's great because they use it for like setting timers and like, you know, weather updates. You know, is, is it going to be sunny today? Stuff like that. But, you know, right. getting it to do. Any like sort of answer practical questions uh, turns into this just frustrating exchange. You know, it just it just doesn't work. It falls down. But despite all that, I think Apple knows this. Apple knows it's terrible. It's hesitant to kill or it has been hesitant to kill Siri because it's so embedded Across Apple's like signature cross-device ecosystem, it's sort of this mesh that 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 you know the 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 sort of switching costs are high for Apple just because it's so embedded, um, and I think more than that, um, Apple doesn't really have or had hasn't up until now had a viable replacement. To justify that sort of uprooting. Um, And I think one of the reasons that goes back to the fact that, you know, AI and search and these things aren't just Apple's core competencies. You know, most Siri searches hand off to Google. Um, So essentially, the point is that that all changes now. That the bar has not only been raised with just underlying AI functionality, but when you look at sort of the GPT-based technologies, these are things that are available through companies like um, OpenAI through API. So it's finally something Apple can just sort of pick up and run with. And, and it's it's like long-standing answer to the sort of the, the problem, the internal problem, the Achilles heel that has been Siri um, so you could say that Apple's been like waiting years for a technology like GPT to come along because, you know, the the problem is like the contrast. Like Apple has, you know, a, as we know, just such a sort of a focus on elegant UX and elegant user experience and all these years, it's sort of been just like dragged down by Siri. So this is something, again, it's been waiting for. And in closing, I'll say that all the above applies not just you know, across that cross device ecosystem, you know, your iPhone, Apple TV, all the places where Siri's embedded. Um, But there's sort of one product where like a decent voice assistant, which Siri is not, is sort of like a make or break thing. And that is the Apple Vision Pro. Um, And, and, you know, I've been saying that this device is is dead on arrival if Siri is going to be the sort of brain's. And, and the voice UX input. And that's not just because Vision Pro could be sort of a key piece of Apple's sort of hardware and wearables ecosystem, which is a, an article we actually recently uh, wrote on um, Locology Insider. I'll um, encourage people to go read that. We wrote all about Vision Pro and, and like the long game. But, but that aside, it, it's a device that is going to be particularly reliant upon voice input. More so than your cell phone and your computer, because even though it has these sort of like apparently magical gesture based inputs, one of the main voice or sorry, one of the main UX inputs is going to be voice. There's no keyboard, there's no little Apple TV remote. Like all of these other sort of hardware products have a physical input sort of mechanism. So for Apple Vision Pro, it's going to be a combination of gestures and voice. So because it's so reliant on that, Siri is just not going to cut it. So if Apple does go in this direction, it's not only just sort of like raises the bar across its product categories that just like I was talking about, but I think it also secondarily helps future proof itself for the sort of vision pro sort of product ramp up that we're going to see in the next, you know, five years or so. Um, so, uh, that's what we're looking at, Charlie. I'm not sure what you think about that. Um,
0: well, a couple of things is the Siri brand. I mean, I know you're not a big fan of Siri. You made that pretty clear, but, uh, is the Siri, I don't know if it's a brand or name. Is yes, that going away or is Siri going to become just a lot better because of this?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I guess there are pros and cons there. Uh, Siri, for all the reasons I mentioned, has some sort of brand badge baggage, but also it's it's embedded. It's it's a known quantity. So I think Apple will have to really, you know, do a whole sort of you know SWAT analysis around like whether or not they keep that. You know, they may decide should she have we- an English accent? Should yeah, you know, all that yeah, sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. And and they could, you know, somewhere in that you know um, SWAT, you know, uh, quad quadrant grid is like the fact that GPT right now is is a very sort of hot sort of brand and it's it's something that they might want to lean into like i said the working title is apple gpt they might want to turn a new leaf and and with that take the opportunity to rebrand it we don't know if that sort of gpt you know chat gpt and all this sort of the 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 ai hotness of the moment is going to be sustainable, and it's something they're going to want to lean yeah. into long term. So I don't know the answer to your question, but I think it's a good one. And there are pros and cons. Do they stick with Siri? Yeah, is Do the brand equity them? outweighed by the brand baggage? For yeah, there you go. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: the, the real interesting stuff. Um, Siri GPT. I think they would be a huge mistake if they called it that. But now, yeah. also, does Apple losing any sort of IP strength because they're basically building it on top of other people's? AI technology I assume that that's what you're saying yeah are, the is there any, any AI- right. inherent ip there
1: yeah as as we've talked about in the past the business model of open ai is going to be that like b 2 b to c It's right. going to be licensing. It's going to be APIs. So I think that Apple could be like one of ChatGPT's biggest competitor. I'm sorry, biggest customers, excuse right. me, in terms of just licensing it on a mass scale. Now, what they build on top of that, I think they can probably maintain some IP. But the underlying nuts and bolts of the large language models, of course, comes from... You know an open ai or any of its Mm -hmm. competitors that continue to to creep up or you know we're talking about apple here it likes to do everything in-house and it usually acquires its way towards that end in terms of just having like really strong vertical integration so it may build they have do they have the
0: horses to make an acquisition here right i mean they're big
1: yeah yeah um i don't think they would acquire chat gpt that seems to acquire the type of company that gets them closer to that underlying technology but mm-hmm. but yeah, Apple is a company that likes to have, you know, in-house technology. Um, so we'll see what their own going.
0: OS, you know, yep. et cetera. Okay. Well, unanswered, but interesting questions, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about X mm-hmm. and specifically, I know, you know, everyone is dumping on X, the rebrand, I think for good reason. I mean, it's pretty obvious that this was, that, um, What's And I've heard a lot of conversations about this. I'm sure you have as well and thought about it as I have. And what's interesting is that Elon is not Elon Musk, owner of Twitter now X, um, is not exactly new to building good brands. I mean, Tesla is a great Mm -hmm. brand. You know, you could argue SpaceX, maybe in a more narrow sense, is a good brand as well. So it's not like he's immune to the the idea that uh, brands are important. yet this seemed very throwaway even though yeah. x has been sort of floating around him for a while as you point out and something you i think you're working on um you know he, he's been throwing this x thing out he and i remember x the everything app was a phrase that came out kind of right after he acquired twitter or Correct. around the time he was acquiring twitter i forget exactly what the timing was and i thought oh x the everything app that has a ring to it i guess um so i he, this was telegraphed a while uh, back, And I think we can have a conversation about whether we think X is good or bad or, you know, a good execution of a brand, bad execution. I think the consensus is pretty clear that this is kind of shoddy. Whether there's a long term idea behind this that's interesting, I think is worth asking. And I think the idea seems to be this becoming a sort of a super app brand um the twitter is you know that the idea all along with sort of somehow evolving twitter into a super app which raises a big interesting question is is there demand for a super app does the world need x the everything app or whatever uh, elon has in mind and this is something i think about a lot because i think super apps is a fascinating topic i do as you know i've been around the world a lot uh, i've spent a lot of time in asia and I know that if, um, for example, if you go to Vietnam, uh, one thing I share with the late Anthony Bourdain is the love for Vietnam. It's a great country, a lot of fun to visit. But if you go there, you will not be able to function without having Grab the Grab app on your phone. Mm-hmm. Grab is a, basically a ride-hailing service that has evolved into payments and food delivery and all that. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of Vietnam sit, Vietnamese cities from the back, sitting on the back of a Grab motorcycle taxi. And so, you know, there are companies like this all over the world that have used either ride hailing or messaging or payments or something as a some either logistics or fintech as a starting point or social from as a starting point to try to build a super app. And they've had mixed success. Uh, There's a lot of apps that do more than one thing, but I don't think the only true super app in the world is still WeChat in China. Mm -hmm. And and that is successful on a massive scale. Like I think I wrote it down. It's like one point six or 1.7 billion monthly average user. Just crazy, crazy numbers, you know, for WeChat. But WeChat is a messaging app that evolved into a super app in a in China, a country that really kind of closed itself off to all the apps of the world that we can think of, like Google and Facebook and so on and so on. Um, so it's sort of, you know, this ecosystem sort of evolved in a, or this app evolved in a very unique ecosystem that isn't replicated anywhere else. And the idea that there's a need for a super app in North America, for example, I would challenge that because we have Amazon, we have all the meta apps, we have Google, et cetera. We have a handful of apps that we're used to using that kind of when you add it all together, they're kind of a aggregated super app, you know? So is there a reason for something like X to come in? And kind of do all of those things. Because to be a true super app, you really have to do certain things. You have to have a social element, a messaging element, an e-commerce element, a logistics element, you Thanks. know, and a fintech element. To say, you know, that's a lot, you yeah. know. And we get those things through a handful of apps that we have embedded usage in. And so I'm yeah. very skeptical that this is the way for for Elon to justify this acquisition. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you
1: think, Mike. So, um Yes, Um, it's interesting in sort of the Western world, the the super app failing like a sort of WeChat um, is really the iPhone home screen, because as you pointed out, it's all of those sort of like best of breed individual point solutions you go to instagram for your social and social sharing you go to paypal for your payments and it's just uber for your ride sharing it's like these individual point apps have like done a better job than anyone's been able to sort of combine Mm -hmm. them all in one but i think that like it's it's as scott galloway likes to point out it's sort of the holy grail like if you think about it if you can pull off a super app you have a few things you have scale you have stickiness, um, and you have sustainability. That's I guess it's the, we'll call it the three S's: scale, stickiness, and sustainability. And sustainability. Heard, by, heard by it here I first, mean,
0: everyone. Yeah.
1: By that I mean recurring revenue. Um, mm-hmm. So those those are just obviously very strong sort of um, business metrics to go after. Um, and and back to the sort of like can can X pull it off? As you pointed out, there are a lot of sort of components. That, re- that are required for a super app, right? You have payments, you have a social graph, you have some sort of like communications mechanism, whether it be like chat-based. It has to be. Um, you have to be talking yeah. through it. Yeah. E-commerce, ride hailing and all these things. And I've always said- You have said to be buying like, tickets or travel or something through this yeah. thing. Yeah. Now I've always said that among those, the best starting point um, and those that are positioned on a strong foundation to build a super app- is someone who's already nailed the payments part because that's the hardest Mm -hmm. one to do for regulatory reasons, for logistical reasons. So when you look at something like Venmo, or paypal or just a number of other the, those are the ones that well, i've always square thought is well positioned you would square, think right yeah right. those are the ones i always thought are have the best the easiest springboard towards towards super app now a lot of those folks we've talked to mike cohen from square and we've pressed them all the time do you want to be a super app and he's usually like yeah. no we're just focused on on the payments part. i i think
0: from i square. asked that question when we had him on stage in uh yeah. uh at our last yeah. event in san diego and i don't think I think he punted on, or I don't think he, he didn't embrace the question. He didn't embrace the idea at all. Yeah. So
1: anyway, back to, back to Twitter, like how does it align? How does its existing assets align with that list of things? Um, You know, it has a social graph. It has the communications mechanism. Um, It doesn't necessarily have payments, but it has Elon who has a great deal. He worked
0: on payments and you're right. He's the PayPal guy. He's
1: the PayPal guy. Right. So like Mm -hmm. he could he could sort of replicate some of that magic. So if you look at it on paper, it actually has some of the ingredients to actually pull it off. Now, there's still some of those like, I don't know, cultural, for lack of a better term, factors that we were talking about. Like, why hasn't a super app happened in the Western world? And like, Mm -hmm. I usually take a sort of like Shark Tank kevin o'leary approach to looking at like hey the market has spoken and if the market has spoken there are good reasons and we can break those down but the bottom line is it like hasn't worked yet but maybe it hasn't worked because of just not the right execution so um so i'd like to see them do it uh i know there's yeah. a lot of haters out there right now i'd like to see them everyone oh, yeah i
0: know about- no you know haters If that's dime a dozen i mean yeah that doesn't answer the question yeah um, yeah but there's another element to this, which is if you go again, like I have traveled in a lot of, you know, emerging markets, let's say, um, in general, data costs are very high. Uh, so the 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 need for a super app is often driven by uh, consumer you know, price sensitivity. Yeah. You know? yeah.
1: There's other factors. You're right. Yeah.
0: And that's less of a fact, again, it's you know that tailwind doesn't really or that supporting factor doesn't exist as much in uh places like europe and north america where people have a a, a home screen full of apps that like we just listed yeah, that yeah. their social you know insta uh, you know a, a, a venmo or whatever is popular locally and you know uh google for search etc and and amazon for buying stuff and yeah, they're used to that. They're not really switching off that. The data costs really aren't a constraint for the most part. And I just think these are very different uh, sets of uh, market conditions. Yeah, and I just, I just do not see the. De- I can see the business case for wanting to have a super app like you described a moment ago. What I don't see is are the demand signals.
1: Yeah. Now it's almost analogous for like. The, the markets and the cultures within the within which these these apps reside like have the 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 American really? way in in terms of like having the best of breed app and you go out and get the best one and fill your that's that's so American versus like Pretty an much. all yeah. in one an all in one app is almost like has like some sort of socialist undertones we don't we don't want to get political here and <laughs> and I like I, little, I, I'm, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah okay I say, it, yeah. I say it mostly in like a comical way but like you mm-hmm. know just it, it seems like it would just be hard to get Americans to be like, Hey, just yeah. use this one thing for everything just from like, well, we don't do that for anything.
0: Do we? I mean, there's yeah, no yeah. like super app in our like IRL lives. Is there, you yeah, know, yeah. and I just don't think we're wired that way. I, you know, it's individualism. Europe as much. You know, yeah.
1: It's, it's individualism, And these are all good things. I don't, I'm not trashing yeah. America or the, no. or the American culture. These are good things. I, I love capitalism, mm-hmm. but I think it's, it's almost like a microcosm of the culture.
0: That there's I think there's a more than a grain of truth to what you just said. I mean I yeah. think um, and that probably drives why we you know have more I don't know if we have more average apps on our phone screens than in other countries. I actually don't know the answer to that question yeah, yeah. that would have been a good stat to look up before this conversation. My guess is yes, but I don't know but but yeah the our behavior is different. it's very baked in. And I just don't think, and I, and again, Elon, not just Elon, Mark Zuckerberg has often expressed admiration for, for WeChat. Yep. And I think has had a desire to try to create something like that. And I think, um, and it's easy to get these names start to say one, when you mean the other, but WhatsApp, which is owned by Meta, yep. mm-hmm. I think has always been sort of sitting out there as why isn't that a super app, you know? And, I think it's in India there have that. been in some markets, yeah, in some markets. In, in some markets, it has uh, super app, uh, you know, components to it. I think you can do shopping in India, you know, and I know that WhatsApp is very commonly used by SMEs in emerging markets. That's true for e-commerce, you know. So it yeah. has super app pieces, but it's not like the the stack, the full stack yeah. super app that you think of like a WeChat, you know. And I'm not sure that it ever will be. You know, you're not buying your movie tickets on. No, I mean, not everywhere doing this. You're doing different things on WeChat in different markets. There's a lot of market specific partnerships for, you know, and that sort of thing. So it's kind of regionally super app E or super app ish, but it is not emerged as a global super app and nothing really has. Yep. And connects do that. That's a big, big uh, task. And, uh, you know. We'll see how committed, uh, I I don't, they haven't really rolled this out. I mean, this is just, we're just assuming this is the plan, you know, and, uh, uh, but assuming it is the plan and I suspect it is, does he have the wherewithal? Is he willing to invest? You know, is there any chance? And I'm highly, highly skeptical.
1: Yeah. And one more factor there, I was thinking about this this morning, is that, you know, besides all the factors we've mentioned are they in a position in terms of momentum, in terms of a lot of other factors to do such a large pivot? And I think you could go either way on that. Cause one Twitter is somewhat in a position of weakness in terms of their user base deteriorating to some degree, advertiser base definitely deteriorating yeah. cash position, all of those things in terms of like making a big pivot. But on the other hand, that's, that could be argued. It could be argued that's the perfect time to pivot because you have less risk. Less risk, less to lose. More of mm-hmm. an impetus to sort of find that you know plan right. B. Yeah. Well, either they make this pivot, which seems to be the direction, or
0: they try to recreate Twitter, in a, you know, in a better form. Which, yeah, if that's what he's been trying up to this point, it hasn't worked because the ads have gone away, and you know, yep. it's just it's kind of a mess. But anyway, okay, Mike, I think we've probably talked as much about super apps as we can in one episode. Why don't you tell us who you think won the week?
1: Yeah, so I'm going to go with Adobe Firefly. So for those unfamiliar, that's Adobe's um, sort of generative AI tool. They've integrated it across the creative cloud. It's sort of like the generative AI tools that you know and love, Dolly, Midjourney. Based on text prompts, you can create sort of artistic elements. Um, And as we've pointed out in the past, including on this podcast, we're very bullish on Adobe and what they're doing here because... Their integration with the creative cloud, it has a built-in install base of creative professionals in marketing departments, in the art world, graphic designers, etc. And it's sort of, you know, that's the vessel, that's the install base that they're sort of building on with sort of um, with AI. So that's been proven. I guess this is I buried the lead here. They've won the week because they just reached uh, a billion users. And it's for all of those reasons that we um, that that we have sort of theorized. They're just positioned really well based on that install base of creative pros in such a ubiquitous product um, as the Creative Cloud. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, Actually, Adobe is. You know what? I, yeah. I but let me go back. I got that wrong. Not a billion users. Excuse me, a billion images generated. That's a different stat. But the, you know, it's it's still equally. It's still impressive. a
0: billion. Yeah. You know, anytime you can say we've reached a billion something. It's, yeah. it's a milestone, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. That's a good one. So I'm going to be very quick with mine. and uh, I'm going to go with Boston real estate developers. And why do I say that? So uh, recently covered something where um, the city of Boston is offering basically developers a 75% tax break on residential, excuse me, commercial office to residential conversions. And this is something we talked about on a podcast a while back. It was episode 21, by the way, I did look it up, Um, where we talked about this. what I'm hesitant to call a trend of converting offices into residences. The reason I hesitate to call it a trend is it's very difficult to do, but there is some data out there that says it's actually just a little bit more cost-efficient to do a conversion than to build a brand new residential building. There is a residential uh, shortage, excuse me, in big cities and a office glut, which we've talked about a lot, that has you know, emptied out downtowns. It's been, the reason it matters to locals, it's been very damaging to local small businesses in downtown areas. You know, the sandwich coffee shop, the dry cleaner, et cetera, et cetera, have been really damaged by this. There's a lot more uh, data floating out there about whether you know, the back to the office movement is is beginning to take hold, uh, you know, because of bosses saying you got to come back to work at least three days a week. There's some evidence out there that that's starting to show up in the amount of card swipes, you know, and, and people entering office buildings and that sort of thing. So there's a, there's a lot of mixed data out there. But what is absolutely true is there's a lot of empty offices and there's a lot of, and there's a shortage of new homes in big cities. And Boston is throwing some pretty strong incentives against this. And uh, that's a big win for developers, I think. Uh, So that's why I'm citing that. Uh, Mike? Why don't you
1: read us out? Yeah, thanks, Charlie. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been This Week in Local. Stay tuned every week for more episodes. You can find the show on all major podcast networks and find out more at locology.com. So please subscribe, like, and comment. Your engagement helps others find us. So I'm Mike Bolin with Charles Laughlin. Our producer is Dara Sweat. So thanks for listening and see you next week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Locology's This Week in Local with Mike Boland and Charles Lachlan. Be sure to subscribe for more.